0: hello hello how's it going hey how are you good
1: nice to see you again
0: nice to see you i'm trying to see your background here this is the famous studio here
1: yeah this is so it's a Quonset hut.
0: oh cool
1: and it's uh 72 feet long and 20 wide and 10 high
0: nice so a dream is it you by yourself in there
1: It is. I I originally rented it with a contractor, and we were going to do projects together. He got super busy, and I started taking more shows, so I wasn't around. Yeah. So he took a smaller role. He just uses this as an administration location, but behind that um, Bloom mural is where my woodworking, my welding, and my uh, I have a little setup for stained glass that I haven't tried yet, but you know, oh, when you're cool. an artist, people give you stuff mm-hmm. when their family members retire or pass away. They're like, dad was a stained glass artist. Would you like his tools? And I always say,
0: you're cool. an artist. <laughs> so I get that too. I, I get like random stuff. It's like, well, you're an artist. Do you want all these sketchbooks or do you want these alcohol links? And I'm like, sure. And I end up using them eventually. You know what I mean? Well, for everybody listening, we're here with Nancy Hadley. And we met, yeah. And uh we met at Shockbox, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember you had the nail sculpture?
1: Yeah, new to break. Yes. And, yeah. And that was what regulated
0: regulated re- garbage.
1: Regulated garbage, yeah.
0: Yeah, that was a fun show. And you tapped me on the shoulder and it was really fun uh getting a chance to talk to you. And we're gonna get into everything, obviously, but you're based out of Costa Mesa?
1: Yeah, I live in Huntington Beach, but my studio is in Costa Mesa. So.
0: Okay, how far away is that it's from your house? Three to five miles.
1: Best commute ever.
0: There you go. <laughs> well, technically, I have the best commute ever. I just walk out oh. my back <laughs> my backyard into my other space. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a that's a good commute too. I guess we're gonna start at the beginning. I always do like origin story with people. You mm-hmm. probably know the game. So why don't you tell us, you can share as much as you want or as little as you want and start as early as you want, but uh, just give us a little bit of an insight into how you got started with art and a little bit of your upbringing.
1: Okay. Um, I'm the youngest of six kids. And from the moment I could hold a crayon, I was drawing. If there was mud on the ground, I was sculpting. And my family, uh, being the youngest, they championed me. So I never really knew anything different other than if I made it, there were there were going to be people that like it, which if is an amazing you made
0: it, they will come.
1: Thing. Yeah, pretty much. And um, so when I finished high school, I was debating whether I go to art school or medical school. Not a typical combo, but it was for me. I love <laughs> and uh, I landed at uh, UC Santa Barbara and got a bachelor's degree in art. It was more of a conceptual school, so I wasn't really ready for that. And I was constantly trying to find ways to have the professors let me do representational art, but they really Mm -hmm. wanted concept and contemporary art and installations. But I did find a happy medium. And when I graduated, and all my friends were getting jobs because they had been business majors and, you know, getting teaching jobs and whatnot, I didn't really have options that I thought of. So I went in and became a temp in a uh, insurance adjusting place but my brother-in-law was a leather worker and had come across this studio in san francisco called academy studios and it's where they built the museum exhibits for natural history museums oh cool and he came home because he was living with my parents as was i and um with my sister and he said i think i found a place for you i think i found what you're gonna like and I walked into that office the next day, and there was a full-size sculpture of an elephant seal. Oh wow! And there were people in the back sculpting and drawing and painting and doing crazy museum exhibit fabrication. And I went to the window and said, um, "I can I apply here? I'd like to work here. I have an art degree." And the woman said, "We don't have any openings." And I said, "I will donate my time." And she said, "There you we go." Don't have- We don't take volunteers, but the Academy of Sciences does. So I signed up with them and started working, illustrating a paper for a scientist in the basement and um, feeding and entertaining the penguins. So it was like (laughs) I was getting animals and draw. So that was my first moment, and and then I started to volunteer with that same team because they were installing an exhibit called Life Through Time.
2: Mm.
1: It was the evidence for evolution. And so there were dinosaurs and there were trees and there were fossils. It was amazing. And I got in and met this woman who has been a lifelong friend ever since. Airplane, sorry. Airplane.
0: Pause for airplane, everybody. Well, you are kind of in a an airplane there- hangar, it almost looks like.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, and the theory is that these were originally from the World War II Santa Ana Army Air Base. Yes. I'm getting conflicting stories about that. So I don't know if these were taken from the fairgrounds and brought here or if there was actually military activity here. So, but.
0: Well, that's great because you can kind of make up whichever story you like best. I I
1: made up that, yes, literally (laughs) where they were trained to become pilots or where they were basic training for pilots. So. Right. So anyway, I met this woman named Allie Pearson and we were, It was like we had known each other our whole lives. And she rallied for me to get a job building those museum exhibits. So I stayed volunteering with the penguins, but then got paid to make trees and branches. Um, Everybody wanted to sculpt the animals, but I was a newbie. So, you know, I got to do thousands of leaves and put trees And and I was happy with that. And so all my experience was in mold making and casting and color matching and plants seemed to be the thing that they wanted my help in. I had, I guess, an eye for it. And when we finished that job, once again, I was lost. I'm like, okay, I'm an artist without a job again. But my boss from that project left the uh, museum and started a for-profit fabrication company. Nice. Called me and I interviewed and I got a job with them and so for six years in the in the interim I I met up with my my college friend and we ended up falling in love and getting married. And oh, cool! Had a baby up in Northern Cal.
0: Congratulations! And
1: thank you so much. And um, so for six years I was building museum exhibits for natural history museums around the world. I even collected in Taiwan. I had to color match things and go to the different areas. And then we would fabricate it, we would put it in a container, we'd ship it, we'd meet it, and we'd install it. So it was an interesting life. I mean, I I thought, this is crazy. And um, I always said to myself, you know, I've seen other countries, I had gone to Europe my senior year of college, and I had gone to Taiwan and Japan. I'd seen other places and people would ask me about the United States. So I I said, well, someday I have to see the states so I can answer these questions. But Right,
0: I got to see my home te- my home country.
1: Yeah, I'm forecasting to something I'll tell you later, which is kind of funny. But um,
0: I like it. I kind of, like it when anybody does my job for me.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so when I retired, I we moved down here, and I was going to be a stay-at-home mom. I started going to Mommy and Me, and I love my son, but I am not a huge fan of just being at home and. Yeah not being creative and uh one of my former co-workers margaret hatch hooked me up with mattel and i became a vendor sculpting toys
0: oh wow did did
1: you you
0: ever know scott mescal
1: i might have i know that i worked with aldo Mm -hmm. and margaret and a few others woman named Abby. They were amazing because I would drive to the design center, pick up the blueprints with my baby in a pack. Yeah. (laughs) Roller. I would drive home, put him in a corral and start sculpting. And I'd sculpt through the night and deliver a finished sculpture the next day. Oh, wow. And it put me in this, this mode of like, just knocking things out really fast. In museums, you had to go through a review process. So everything was just painfully slow for me. Mm
2: -hmm. So I
1: found this job where it was like, you mean I can sprint? And they want me to sprint? (laughs) So so I did that. And um, because I was always painting and always uh, kind of designing spaces and installations anyway, I had to open up an LLC to work for Mattel. So I yes. started a company and took on other jobs, murals, some color consultations for friends and neighbors. And so that was kind of taken off in the background. And then I had more kids and those Mattel jobs were really tough. When I had yeah. them at home and I was trying to do a sculpt through the night and delivery. Yeah, it was too much. My husband was incredible through the process because i would get up to the design center he'd meet me in the parking lot play with my son if i had to go in a meeting oh good and then i'd present the sculpture if it was a quick drop i could go in with him yes so
0: well that's i mean that's something that i think a lot of artists fear i know i've held off on having kids for a long time because i'm afraid of being able to juggle that my wife works at ucla and i'm like okay i would be at home with the child because i work from home and my studio is at home so that always freaks me out a little bit. So it's always interesting to hear how other artists are kind of juggling that. But sorry, keep going.
1: No, time. It's, it's, it's like time management. But also when I think about how I was raised as a kid, I had these people championing me to be creative. They made it possible. My mom, my dad, and my siblings all were on my side.
2: And That's huge. My,
1: right? And then when my husband and I got together, he's a he's a writer creatively. But as soon as I told him I was pregnant, he was afraid and got a sales job because he was afraid oh, no. we wouldn't make ends meet because a teacher's salary and a museum exhibit builder's salary didn't yeah. equate enough money. I was like, I'll put my son in a drawer yeah. <laughs> in our room and I will be happy. But yeah. my, my husband's like the eternal provider and I owe everything to him as far as my creative process from this point, because he made it possible for me to continue to thrive.
0: That's amazing. And it's also, you know, somebody needs to be, I mean, not to say that artists aren't practical. I've developed a lot of practicality through my career, but you do need some practical aspects. Like my wife is the same way. She works at UCLA. She's a multimedia designer by trade, but she does this now. And, you know, we get health insurance through her and it's a stable job. And I'm just kind of like, I mean, I found a way to be very consistent, but as you know, it takes time.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that, and that's the thing that was happening with us and he wanted the stability. So I said, okay, I am going to run with it. Mattel was a very lucrative job. I did the best I've ever done as an artist. Oh, you know, wow. Commission per job that per hour was because uh, uh, they didn't know how fast I could sculpt, but I did. So <laughs> hour, it was a good job. And oh, that's great. Yeah. And, but I was still kind of trying to find myself and um, my son, was he needed to go to preschool and I wanted to go take him to OCC. My mom, ma- my mother-in-law is a early childhood specialist. And she said, the lab school's amazing. Go there. And the only way I could get him in is if I enrolled. So my husband yeah. was like, why are you going to art school? You have a bachelor's degree. And I was like, for sanity. So <laughs> I-, I took classes and I walked in there thinking, they're not going to teach me anything. I am just doing this for the $11 a unit to get my son into preschool. Yeah. But what I found and it's important for artists to know this, you can always learn, right? And mm-hmm. the teachers I had at Orange Coast College were the best art teachers I've ever had in my life. Amazing. Like inspirational, follow through. I was in my 30s when I took classes there and so there were people coming out of high school at 18 still not figuring out responsibility and and uh time management. Yes. But I knew when i went in it was kind of like with the i'm going to just do this and then when i realized what they had to teach me i it clicked and i engaged and i was all in to art
2: because i was amazing
1: art at santa barbara because i i didn't know what i wanted to do
0: right well it's interesting too because a lot of people even older people are still trying to figure out time management that's so hard as an artist you are your own time manager <laughs> <You have laughs> so to be. So and, you're developing really important skills early on.
1: Well, and and in college there was a little bit of damage because um, I don't know how many art classes you've taken or how many critiques you've sat in on.
0: I've had but my be, fair share.
1: Those can be pretty painful. Oh and yeah, <laughs> I did not have thick skin in college. I was just more like, whatever. I'm doing it because I'm doing it. I don't need yeah. to it to you. Right. But then you fast forward to this this new experience in a city college, and I was completely engaged in the critiques, and excited to talk about other people's work, and excited to share why I was doing what I was doing, and it lit a fire in me, but I didn't know why, so I had decided, okay, my, my youngest at the time was two, and my middle was four, and my oldest was six, and I thought... You know, I'm going to settle in, be a soccer mom, take people to school and home, and just enjoy this because they're not going to be this age very long. And right. And and I, I can do a little art on the side for fun. But then this television show aired called Extreme Makeover: Home Edition in 2003, the end of 2003. Yeah. And I watched it because I was raised on television. I'm a child of the 70s, basically family that big. We all watch TV every night. And I watched it and I saw them running around doing these homes for people that deserved it, or I felt they deserved it. And they were making design decisions that I wouldn't necessarily make because I had all these little kids at home. So I saw things like uh, they could use my help, I think. So Yes.
0: A different I, perspective.
1: You know, a different perspective as a mother, because I, yes. I tell that people who were doing this weren't necessarily parents, Mm-hmm. Not all anyway, and um, but I loved the community idea. So I looked on the internet, which was very unfamiliar to me, in the middle of the night one night, and found a website for Ty Pennington, the host. And I thought, huh, I'll look at this. And it said, ask Ty a question. So I thought, okay, I will. So I sent an email to Ty's website through his fan mail saying, Hey, Ty, I love what you're doing. I get it. It's amazing. And I think I can help you because I paint really fast. Let me know. And awesome. I left it, but I mean, I, you know, it was one of those armchair. I can do this. You don't think about it.
2: And it was, but you also, days-
0: can I pause you real quick? Oh, yeah. One thing that you did very well is you didn't bore the person. You didn't send them a super long, you know, long-winded email and you also added some value. So that's very important for anybody listening.
1: Yes. No. And and again, it was off the cuff. I didn't think about it. I didn't even tell my husband until a couple of days later, a phone call, a phone number came up on my phone that just gave me the area code and nothing else. I'd never seen anything like that. And he goes, <laughs> what is this? This is three, two, three. I'm like, no idea. I'm settling in for the night. Just leave it. Yeah. So the next morning I listened to my voicemail and it is a producer from the show saying they saw my email and they wanted to talk to me And my husband at that point was asleep because he hadn't woken up yet. And I could not believe it. And they wanted to see pictures of my work. And again, not computer savvy at the time. I knew I had photos, but I didn't know how to get them into this machine. Right. These people. So I wake up. And and it was
0: also fairly early for that, right?
1: 2004. Yeah. 2004. Yeah. Yeah certainly early for me because I hadn't really um, spent a lot of time on computers at that point because mm-hmm. I had all these kids and I thankfully did not find the internet until later. <laughs> when they, they were safer. Yeah. Um, so I woke him up and explained to him that I had reached out to a TV show and a producer was reaching out to me. And could he help me with these pictures? And he was like, what have you done? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so he made it happen. We connected, I connected with the producer I agreed to go do a show in San Bernardino and they wanted me to do a mural in a child's room. And I was like, got it. Totally fine. And um, I can tell you that when I walked onto the set at 11 PM, the camera crews weren't there anymore. There was no um, on-camera talent, but the house looked like an anthill covered with people and lights and they were moving as fast as they could. And I was like, I'm home. I mean, I really like, I walked down the street and thought, this is me, this is my this
2: is it. place,
1: right? Yes. And they didn't have my room ready to paint, but I went in the house and was talking to the, the contractors and I had done museum exhibits. So I knew what it looked like when you go into a scene like that. And I knew to kind of give them their space. And I said to the painter, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna nap in the trailer, come get me when the room's ready, great. And there was another muralist. He was waiting as well. So we're sitting on this couch in the star wagon. Like, what are we doing? This is weird. <laughs> and at about two in the morning, the painter came to me and said, hey, Nancy, the, um, there's these paints and we don't know where to put them. And I drowned. I'm like, well, they got to keep going because I need to get to my job. So I go, OK, just a second. I walk in and I call out where they're going to put colors. I don't know any of these people. Oh, I wow. just want to get to my job. So I yeah. call colors in the kitchen and the dining room. And then when I started painting, there was one night cameraman that put a time lapse on me. So I had this moment of, you know, I'm not used to being watched when I'm painting. Mm -hmm. There's a camera filming me and I'm trying to paint and I don't want them to know I'm a fraud. I'm standing in there. (laughs) I told them I can do this, but I probably can't. And in my head, I'm painting against this wall, just blown away.
2: But
0: yeah, the it's like imposter syndrome. We all I have that.
1: Had Every time we
0: have to do something new, we're just like, "Oh my god!" And you, you have to say out. yes. Yeah, they're going to find out exactly.
1: And then they're going to run. They're going to run me out like on the rail, right? Yeah, like, right. I fear, and so I didn't leave that wall for nine hours straight, not even to go to the bathroom. I did not yeah. want to leave that wall because I wanted to get the mural to a point that was um, identifiable for this. Yes,
0: classroom. that's smart.
1: Yeah, and so when. When the cast got there and the cameras got there, I had progressed quite a lot. And um, when the people on camera started to ask me questions instead of like, I wasn't starstruck because I didn't know these guys, they were new to me. And I was like, okay, this is great mural, TV for a six year old. I'm like, where are the books, man? Where's the nightstand? And they started laughing. Cause I'm like, this is a child's room. This is yeah. not a TV center. He's six. What are you going to do? They're like, well, we don't have that. I'm like, "Uh, well, I'll figure that out. And they were laughing because they couldn't believe that I didn't care that that I would just tell them. (laughs) (laughs) We finished, we finished that house. I did get a nightstand and a book and shelves for this child. We did have a big screen TV. I wouldn't have done it myself, but it's extreme makeover. So I started to really get it. And at the end of the whole experience, I had been up for 40 hours straight painting and making some furniture and running around and meeting people. And I was hooked, but I knew that, okay, that's it. I'm done. And when I went to leave, I asked the um, on-camera people if they'd signed my toolbox and they did. And one of them said, I want you on every house I'm on. And I was oh, like, nice. I don't know what that means, but it did mean I got hired on and I stayed with Extreme Makeover Home Edition for 5 seasons.
2: Wow. So
1: it was a ride and a half and the thing to bring that story around is I hit 48 of the United States. I painted murals in homes throughout the United States.
0: There you and go. So you I got a chance to see the the country.
1: And I didn't see any of the things that people would see as a tourist. I saw the people. like I went into these homes and people came in, they left their children with babysitters. they They skipped anniversaries. They wanted to have their hands on this this um, barn raising that we were doing. And it was the most magical thing I have ever been involved in. i I told people, I, you know I'm not a church goer, but I hear about people doing missions, and this was what I would imagine a mission would be like. So yes. all these people coming together for a common good, sacrificing of themselves, giving of themselves, bringing their best selves to help others. And, it and was their just, time. And their time. And it just happened that there was a camera crew. And, yeah, right. And in the beginning of the show, it was originally called Space Invaders, and it was going to be about competing designers, but naturally it it kind of morphed into this amazing give back community building love fest right. that won everyone's heart. Because so,
0: that's what people want to see too. That's inspiring. What,
1: yeah. And this was, you know, 2003 when they started was not far off of the twin towers going down and people were scared and here, this was a reason to give back and be part of the country. It was the most community building thing I've ever seen in my life. And I was Uh, I was astounded to be part of it. And my husband, again, was home with the kids and we got to a point where they needed more care and he decided to quit his job and be stay at home. And I was traveling. It was nuts. Incredible. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's how TV happened for me.
2: And can I ask
0: you a question too about that? Yeah. What do you think was it that struck this person? by you being there and giving your time and, and painting this mural and talking to them, what do you think it was that won them over and made them think, Hey, we got to have this person on our set.
1: Well, what Polly and Preston said is that I was the hardest work that they'd ever seen. And
0: nice. then what I
1: produced was what I said I would produce. Like I would sketch things out ahead of time, fax it, to, fax it to them. Think about it. <laughs> they would say, okay, there's this child that likes whatever ponies. There's always that joke on the internet about the girl getting a pony house. And a pony. Right. But, but if there was a theme or something that the child liked, then I would start sketching up what I thought would assemble into a really fun extreme, and I mean it, extreme room. I did a 25, no, 17 foot long bunk bed that was an ultrasaurus. And I drew cool. it out, we cut it out and we put it in the gray house. And I sculpted a um, T-Rex fossil uh, <clears throat> and had a scientist come and confirm that it did indeed look like a T-Rex fossil <laughs> from LA. So we, we just, I mean, it, it was extreme, but it was incredible. And I do know there are families that were like, okay, now we have this fossil in our room, but they I- had joyful kids that were like, this is crazy. This is amazing.
0: Oh, I'm sure the kids love that. I'm sure they still have that to this day. Whereas a lot of that furniture just gets tossed. They probably have that.
1: (laughs) They might, they might. I I mean, you know, and and it was okay. I mean, it really was about celebrating creativity and joy for children for me. So I approached every house, how can I open these children's eyes to the wonders of the world? And so I would just basically take all the stops out and be like, Let's go for it. Let's do a Tinkerbell uh, lantern bed. And I will paint the skyline of um, flight over London Mm -hmm. in about six hours by hand with both my hands, you know? So it was, it was incredible.
0: Wow. And then you're also just developing your skills more and more being under the gun, having to produce like that and having the pressure of being on camera to produce it almost forces you to step up your game, right?
1: It does. Now, they tried many times to get me on camera, but I was definitely fumbling and terrified of the camera. If they caught me working, they'd get it for real. If they asked me a question, I would get tongue-tied. Like, I couldn't handle it. I was definitely
0: um,
1: freaked out by the camera. but So you
0: developed those skills later?
1: I had to develop those skills later. If I were able to talk on camera the way I can now... When I started with Extreme, maybe I would have been on camera with that team. And that really was a goal because there were moments, many of them, when I would come up with something creative and I would um, design it and I would build it and they would have me step aside and have someone else step in and pretend they did it. Oh, really? That was hard. Yeah. I pushed back on that a lot, but I found my power to push back when it happened to vendors. Mm-hmm. I was better at advocating for others who had spent years perfecting their craft, came on the show and then poured their soul into it. And then, you know, a switcheroo might happen. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's the, some of the reality of reality television. Not everybody would do it, but I, I've been in TV since 2004. And it's pretty, the evolution happens pretty quickly when somebody starts getting a lot of attention on camera then if either they're bringing it themselves or there's a team behind them bringing it, but camera wants them to own it because the audience only knows that person. They don't know. They didn't know I existed as much. I Mm -hmm. peered once in a while. So that was, that was a challenge for building my skin, thickening my skin. Like I told you, I, I had trouble with critiques.
0: And was that a goal of yours at the time? Were you seeing yourself maybe getting some more time in front of the camera? Were you wanting to?
1: Honestly, I'm youngest of six and competitive. It became a goal when I realized the only way I could be identified with my work is if I appeared with my work. Right. That's why it became a goal. It wasn't initially. In fact, I was horrified at the thought. But when I started seeing this thing happen, you know, to give you an example, the first episode that ever aired that I had worked on, they had filmed me a lot, but. Clearly, I you know wasn't seasoned on camera, so mm. I was probably on the cutting room floor. So we assembled a group of our 60 best friends in a bar to watch that episode and celebrate oh. my work and <laughs> watch the episode. And maybe my wristwatch was in one scene. Oh, Everything man. that I did was on camera. My wristwatch, I think, made it on camera. And so that That's was a
0: lesson right there in TV and film, too. You could just yeah. end up on the cutting room floor. Yeah. yeah. So I used a, to have, I have a background in, uh, in acting too. So.
1: You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, oh, yeah. and it's, it's funny because I've evolved my impression of that. And I, I, I go into jobs now with an intentional plan. How am I going to accept whatever happens? And social media has helped me tremendously because when extreme rolled, most people were still getting caught up in social media, but my husband was at home. So he, my website. He updated my website every week. People were coming to my website for ABC Extreme Makeover Home Edition because they were not updating weekly, but I was.
2: So oh, I was wow. into
1: traffic to me that they would have gotten, but they didn't put the energy early on into their website
0: initially. That's smart.
1: They caught up, but my husband saw that, and again, you know, he he did some great things. So that helped my. Brand start to build. And, um, but it was all really surreal because all I ever really ever wanted to do was do, not be, not be seen.
0: Yes. Be. Yes. Well, I got a couple of follow up questions on that. Um, did people actually find you in the credits at all on these things and seek you out? And did you end up, or were you under contract so you couldn't do any work? Like, could I you could take a client?
1: At- I could take any clients that I wanted. Oh, okay. Basically, an at will employee. When I was first hired, they didn't really know what to title me, and I didn't know much about television production, so I put lead muralist, scenic artist, because mm-hmm. that's kind of what I did. I did sculpture, so I wanted to get that. Over time, um, I requested and was granted art director, so I was the first art director on Extreme Makeover Home Edition, Nice. Which is amazing. <laughs> so I was on a primetime show and an art director, a position that basically I built, so that was yeah. incredible. and. And then the time came when I was gone, what, 208 days a year. So I really was not as connected to my family as I would have liked to have been.
0: Yeah, that's the trade-off, right?
1: That's a huge trade-off. And then we had a local tragedy and I realized here I'm out trying to help these families and my own family is now sad and suffering. So I went home and thought that was amazing. That was TV. I'm cool. Mm Mm-hmm. But then a producer called me and wanted me to interview for a show for some chef named Gordon Ramsay. Israel, raw! Nightmares. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. Um, and because I'd been on the road, I hadn't been watching these shows, so I didn't know much about it.
0: And oh, really? That's probably better.
1: <laughs> it was much better. And, and I went on the road with Kitchen Nightmares for three seasons, and that was incredible because it wasn't year-round. It was a six- to seven-week chunk on the road. So it was like I was deployed, but now I get a co-home and be mom again. And that was so crazy, but so much fun. And
0: I might have met your match with Ramsey as far as uh, moving and shaking, you know.
1: Definitely. I would pace to him, but boy, his pace was fast. And um, they'd give me the restaurant like at 10 p.m. and want it at 9 or 10 a.m. So I had to flip them with a team of three of us in that time frame.
0: Oh my God.
1: And when they first hired me, they said, oh, you know, don't worry. It's just going to be tablecloths and paint. And I said,
2: that's
0: right. not how I
1: work. <laughs> that's not, you give me my budget and I'm going to fill it with more than that. And so that was fun. And the yeah, first, that
0: probably wouldn't have been rewarding for you just to no. you know, slap a coat of paint and put some new tablecloths.
1: The first episode that I flipped with my team on the reveal, the owners of the restaurant cried and the executive producers looked at me and they're like, Wow! what Would you do? <laughs> like,
0: you set a standard. You're like now everybody has to cry each episode.
1: I want to make them cry. No, so it, you know, so it, it. I found my place, but it was definitely at a cost. I mean, I think about how much sleep I didn't get over the past few decades, and
0: yeah,
2: and
1: as I've been in this business this long, and I'm older now, I realize you know I have to pace myself better. So as I Went from show to show. I learned something new about taking better care of um, my time and being better at managing my team and our schedule and expectations. That managing expectations as an artist is crucial. Oh That's yeah, really crucial. It's always better to underpromise and overdeliver, but you you know about that.
0: And, yeah. Well, also you're managing your own expectations.
1: Oh, they're always like. On beyond Z, but, <laughs> but I have to dial myself back. I'm like, well, I can't physically do that in this time. Right. But you've got
0: budgetary constraints. You've got time constraints.
1: And physical constraints.
0: And physical constraints. Right. Yeah.
1: So, so, it, so, TV itself has been um, not the career I thought I would have, but the career that I love. And mm-hmm. um, now that I'm at a point where my youngest is going to graduate from college next year,
0: congratulations.
1: Thank you very much. That's a huge thing, you know. Chicago. Yeah, um, I had this opportunity to get a studio. I think I think it was in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen. I got this studio with intent to grow it, um, to do more design locally, and then I took on more production jobs because it's one of those things when you're working job to job, you don't know if something's coming, so you try and make other plans. And the second you know you make those plans, jobs come in. Exactly. So this is like of feast or
0: famine, a lot of times
1: feast or famine. So this is this sat a bit, but during the pandemic, it didn't sit. I came in here. This was my peace. This was my place. It was amazing, and I was able to work out how I felt about the pandemic, how I felt about loss in my family personally, mm-hmm. and how I felt about stress and the world. And my art started to show more of that. And I mean that that's it's funny because I got to the point. When I first met you, I was looking for a place to share my art because I felt like I was at a point where I could handle it and I might have a body of work to share. Yes. And, um, I found Shockbox online, and then I was doing what I did with Ty, and I was like, okay, so who is connected to Shockbox? And then I found the <laughs> podcast with you and yep. Mike, and I listened to it. And I'm like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to enter something into the show. But what I did first is after listening to you to talk, Mm -hmm. I asked Mike if I could come see the gallery. I wanted to see what is this space. I love the name. So I was like, I'm probably gonna love the space. Oh yeah. And he chatted with me and I told him that um, I've done art for years, but I haven't shown a lot of art. I've done some shows, but nothing really steadily. And Mm -hmm. uh, he gave me some advice and I submitted on cafe My nudibranch sculpture uh, Mm -hmm. was selected and I couldn't have been more thrilled. And I I couldn't get anyone in my family to come with me to the opening because my husband was working and my kids were away. So I went by myself and did that thing where you walk in like I did down the street in Extreme. And I walked in and at first I was like, maybe, maybe I don't fit in here. And then I'm I'm only
0: laughing because that's like every artist, you know, first impression.
1: Yeah, I thought, okay, um, I am a mom, middle-aged, coming from Orange County, walking into this gallery that I perceive is cool and, you know, hip. And I'm like, and I didn't feel like that was me. <laughs> but I walked in and I could tell, I was like, okay, no, that's on my face. That I'm doing that. So I'm going to erase that and I'm going to walk through and experience the art because that is my favorite thing anyway yes I started to look at the art and listen to people and make a comment or engage I started to feel much better and met other artists and then that's when I had gone through into the back to check that that refrigerator which was cool oh yeah I came back and I saw you and I was like that's Preston (laughs) Hello. Yes. And you were so kind and gracious. I mean, I was banking on that to be the best possible outcome and I did get the best possible outcome. Yes. And
0: well, you made an impression and you you're really good at, even if I can't tell the chatter that's going on behind the scenes in your own mind, of course, but you're really good at making a goal going out there and doing it. And there's so many lessons that you've said that that I want to touch on that I've already forgotten, but you definitely (laughs) made an impression on me. And for so many artists listening, sometimes it's just a matter of doing it, asking. Yeah. Just put yourself out there a little bit because we are our own worst enemies. Yeah.
1: No. And 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 you will find people that don't want to give it up, or you know, they're they're dealing with their own demons in their own head, so they're insecure. And you ask a question, and they don't have it. You know. Yes. Know this thing about me where I turn because I've just climbed into my own head and I'm working out problems. Yep. And so when I'm in that space, I mean, I literally, physically, you can see the change. And i have in there for a minute. Okay, I'm out. All right. What was that? You know, so yeah, I try and give other artists, and I'm not perfect at it, but I try and give other artists that same room to understand that they are now trying to process and deal with everything.
0: And sometimes, and I, you know, just being in a gallery and listening to people, you know, giving them a chance to talk a little bit. And then it just opens up a whole new world and then they're going to probably go, oh, show me your work. And then you're going to have a conversation. All of a sudden you've got some new friends because galleries can be so stuffy. I don't think Shockbox is stuffy, obviously, but the typical gallery situation is pretty stuffy and it can be cold and you can feel out of place even when you have people with you so I admire what you did and I've been there myself many times <laughs> sometimes I've been doing this for 20 years in galleries and like I still have that experience from time to time so it's not easy but just you know quiet that inner critic if anybody's listening and just go and say hi to somebody
1: yeah and see art get out and see art and get up to Lacma as often as possible and I, I usually don't even read who's visiting I want to yeah. go in and go on an exploration and be surprised.
0: Yes. I love and, that.
1: Yeah. I mean, because it's everything. A, a very good friend of mine, Matt May, who um, he's an artist and he does ceramic art, had taken me to Tim Hawkinson, who I hadn't heard of. Mm-hmm. And now he's one of my favorite artists. I mean, I, he took me there, but I think it's 2019. There was a show called New Works at the Dank Gallery. And the, it, it inspired me. It actually inspired the work that I submitted um, to the John Wayne Airport um, juried show. Yes.
0: Yeah. I wanted to ask you about that. That's still going on, isn't it? It's
1: going on right now. It's up in the, uh, in the terminal, uh, one through three. And I think at the other end in, in or sorry, terminal one and gate one through five, and then terminal two multiple gates. So there are four foot by four foot paintings. We submitted, we were to submit five pieces and they all had to be four by four. So that's a big ask. It is paintings to like, then send and they choose. So you better have made those paintings, which I did. I had some already because that was a format I had worked in, but the two that were selected were the ones that were inspired directly inspired by the work. I saw of Tim Hawkinson and his drip series. I, I loved his work and I love, I love process. Most art that I do, I've painted in my head about three times before I actually put a brush or anything down. Yes. Because I, I mentally process efficiency.
0: When you're visualizing
1: and I'm visualizing. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: How,
0: how close are you? This is something that I always think about when I started out, it was always about trying to strive to get to that point where I was matching what was in my head or getting close to that point. And it always ended up being, okay, this is good, but it's completely different from what I originally first thought. Now I'm getting to a place where I can realize a lot of my ideas and see them make, wow, this is actually very close to what I was picturing in my head. Are you finding that with yourself as well?
1: I am finding that with myself more. Although one of of the directions I go often is, um, I call it gravity painting. It's Mm -hmm. poor painting and a lot of people do it as a craft, but I do it as um, a color composition exercise and to see Mm -hmm. how I can manipulate the paint when it's actually in motion. And yeah, uh, so there are times when I'm pouring and I cannot know for sure what's going to happen but I can pick the palette I can pick where I put it down and I can also then alter it after yes hence it after and early on in my art career I'd see something in my head and it never matched and it drove me nuts and then i i thought I wanted to be a medical illustrator for the longest time but I worked with a medical illustrator and she she had to be so tight and particular that I thought that it was going to blow up my creative side so mm-hmm. I backed up I was like, that's too tight. That's too much. I could do it, but I'd probably be more crazy than I am now because of that fixation on detail. Mm -hmm. So now I can can decide where the detail is, but then I can be free for the big and then tighten it up after. So Mm -hmm. I would say to answer your question in a very long way that, yes, I see it in my head and then oftentimes I see it to one stage and then I have the luxury of time that I've never had and I leave it alone and I come back to it.
0: Yes. That's smart.
1: It it more happens that I didn't see coming, but it's still processed a little bit ahead of time, but not as much.
0: And you have a fresh set of eyes.
1: My fresh eyes is crucial. I used to do that when, when I was doing bars and restaurants and salons and tattoo shops for television shows, I always walked into the space And I used to talk about it as a design science. I would use my five senses to read a space. And then I had to answer questions on every one of the senses. Food was usually up to the chefs. Yeah. But um, I would answer questions on all the senses and make sure I hit something on each of those in the budget I was given. That's smart. Yeah.
0: So you probably got used to being in the space and also really being able to step back. I think a lot of artists make that mistake of just being really close to their work the whole time, not coming back and getting the fresh eyes, but also not just stepping back in the room and getting that perspective for it. Because sometimes yeah. what you see up close is not what you're seeing <laughs> from afar.
1: Well, I, I was early on with art. Um, I was pretty judgmental of abstract when I was younger. Now mm-hmm. I feel like I had a moment of clarity for me when I was at a, I was looking at a Picasso show for OCC they wanted me to go to a show and write about an artist. So I picked Picasso because I had spent a lot of time being judgy on the Cubist movement. Like I mm-hmm. thought, what is this? Yeah. And I, I went through the show and it was a time show that showed early works on two. And there was just this moment that clicked when I was looking at, I think Maya with a kite. It was a painting of mm-hmm. his daughter. And I, it was like an aha moment. And I thought, get it. I was like I could re- I, it was like I could speak another language in that moment. And it changed my whole world on abstract composition, color. It opened up my eyes that I'm always going to be grateful for uh, Picasso for that one because it it helped me. And I always tell people, it, art is it, it is subjective. So if you like it, then you like it and enjoy it. You don't yes. have to like it because I like it.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people, like a lot of artists, I also... You know, went to school, and got my bachelor's, had a mentor in school. It was very important to me. But I painted figurative work. I did, you know, pop surrealism and and representational art for 14, 15 years. And it was the same thing for me. I I was kind of like, I don't know if it was a jealousy, like a subconscious jealousy of abstract. But at first I was very judgy about it too. And then I had an experience in the Tokyo Museum of Modern Art where I was sitting in front of a Moreau piece And it was just vibrating. Like it was was probably the only time I've ever had this real experience. It was like, it was pulsing. It was vibrating. I sat down in front of it for 45 minutes and I got teary eyed. I was like, what is happening? And I was like, this is what I have to do. So I feel like the next 13, 14 years were me fighting against that. And then it finally just came out and I've never been happier to be like an abstract artist now. But I do think it's important to have that other experience as well. And to have, like you worked in, TV and you worked under the gun. This is another question I wanted to ask you, but it's it must be hard to have a body of work where you've done so much stuff, and then have somebody be like, "Well, can I see your body of work?" And you're like, "Well, yeah, but it's it's all over the country. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's in all these restaurants, it's all these rooms. So yes, you can. How much time do you have to watch this tape? You know,
1: it was that, yeah, and it's funny because. And I'm always teased by my family. I take a lot of photos. Like currently, good on my phone and on the cloud, I think I'm at eight. I was at 80,000 and my daughter helped me edit it down to 60. <laughs> but that's good. not including the backup hard drives that exist from the time I worked on Extreme. So yeah. I documented everything and I was pretty careful and conscious that when I worked on a show to say, I'm going to photograph my work and I'm going to, I, and I'm going to identify that I did
0: this work. Yes so that's smart, so did you have to get that in the contract at all?
1: I had them write it into extreme,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and I think I had it on a couple other shows, but I never had any pushback because as i as I talked to them about it, there was an understanding that that was kind of a trade-off that I'm a creative and I'll share my creativity, but i'm I'm not going to let someone else own my creativity.
0: yes, good, and
1: I had to put that I had to put that up.
0: It would be a red flag almost wouldn't it if you were working with uh, an organization and they were like no we own all the rights to this you cannot take photographs. I would be like uh hello like you should be respecting me just as I'm respecting you.
1: If you've ever worked in television look at the contracts. Here. Yes. <laughs> I did you know I did a reality show where I was a contestant. If I could go back in time I probably wouldn't have done it because I mm. knew what happens behind the curtain as opposed to what happens in front and I could see when things were getting a little chaotic. And I couldn't help with that because I right. was on camera.
0: Well, and they kind of urge it too, don't they? The chaos.
1: Oh, absolutely. But no, there was, yeah, there was other chaos though. That, oh, okay. didn't see coming. And
0: Nancy, we have <laughs> to know what this is now.
1: Well, it was, it was weather. Okay. You know, you're, you're renovating homes in Palm Springs and then it's yes. happens that you didn't see coming. That's okay. chaos. Yeah. And, um and then of course, then you have, they want to produce some reality. Conflict and they want to ask questions and I I knew very well like there was one moment where I was livid and the camera was on me and they're like what are you thinking and I said I will never tell you ever, ever, ever.
0: <laughs> you're like I've been this is my first rodeo I know what goes on
1: <laughs> you're not getting it out of me I I'm still won't <laughs> tell anyone what I was thinking but so that was interesting to be on the other side because I thought oh well that'll give me a launching pad to do more on camera. I've I've had moments. I was on trading spaces. I was the last designer added in season eight, which was a dream come true. Awesome. And uh that was my that was the learning curve on how to be on camera. Okay. And I'll give this to people too, because if it, it's it was such a, an amazing moment. I walked in the scene, Paige Davis is waiting. I'm looking at the room and I come in to talk about the room. And the room was just dead silent because my entry and talking was so flat and horrible <laughs> that nobody, nobody wanted to even, it was one of those things where you could just tell everyone to just turn around and just use the restroom or whatever, get out. Oh of there. no. But one of my closest friends was a makeup artist and she said, Oh, um, I need to powder your nose. Come with me. So she took me in another room and she's powdering my nose. She goes, okay, right now, when you go back in there, you're a Muppet and that's a room full of crying five year olds that's how you're going to walk into the room. You got to make them stop crying. That's your job.
0: Oh, that's like, great. Ah.
1: So I walked back in with that in my head. Did the scene. Nobody was turning away, embarrassed and horrified. And Paige said to the cameraman, "That was that was one of the most amazing second takes I've seen." <laughs> <laughs> so it was because of my Jiminy Cricket, Tracy. Yeah she and i tell people that all the time she basically gave me the formula to understand like i just couldn't process what was needed of me in front of the camera i just didn't understand it
0: what a great visual to right. have in your head yeah. and so and us being visual learners right
1: it's all i needed you know yep. it's with dancing too if i hear the cadence of a step i pick up the step faster than if you tell me the
0: steps right
1: i i have to kind of like visually see my feet doing it. And if I hear the cadence, I know how to follow it. And that's kind of what happened with on camera for me is that I realized, ah, I have to light up so that (laughs) I go through the camera to the people, you know, and it was, it was the most valuable information I could ever have about being on camera.
0: That's amazing. And for anybody listening too, that's important for learning in general. If you are not learning something, figure out how you learn best and ask that person to explain it to you in those terms. And you will learn. It's, it's a, just a really good device for learning. But I love that. I love that visual. And yeah, because it's like if the people in the room are not interested, how do you expect people at home to be interested?
1: Absolutely. And and I've, I've done, since then, I've done um, presentations. And I get caught up if I have a slideshow. So that's another thing that I've learned. Um, because I'm so visual, I get sucked into the visual. But if I am actually engaged with the audience and talking and answering questions, it's totally different presentation. So yeah. knowing yourself and how, how you communicate is important for anything, even for interviews, uh, just knowing what, what's going to lock you up and what's going to open you up. Cause you want to open up and yes, meeting people in TV and how I presented when I first walked up to them. And, you know, I, I got lucky most of the time. There were times when I did not <laughs> you know, yeah. um, as artists, I think many of us get into our own head and we forget that nobody else has a view on what's in there and is, is, is as engaged in that process that we might feel is super important. Remembering there's another person that you need to translate for about what's going on in your head is crucial. Yes,
0: And nobody can see me, but I'm nodding ferociously. Um, <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, yeah well, and that's, and that's a
0: good, it's something that we talk about all the time on the podcast, which is learning how to talk about your work, learning how to convey whatever energy you have in the piece to the viewer or to the collector. And it's interesting because I see different stages of that with you. I see the the critique groups at the beginning, learning how to take criticism and also learning how to give it, learn how to talk about other people's work, which probably translated to you.
1: Too, right? Say again? Respectfully give it. Respectfully,
0: well. exactly. Yes, thank you. But also it probably was a great way for you to learn how to talk about your own work as well. And then getting this muscle through TV, it's almost like translating how you were approaching these people at the beginning to get on the show and then to have them be, you know, to to continue on with extreme, what is it? Extreme uh, makeover. Makeover. That was your first one, right? Yeah. Translating that to your on camera, having that kind of excitement when you're on camera, because a lot of people just like shut down that side of themselves.
1: You see the camera and you see the light and it's like, "Ah." yeah,
0: yeah. You get like a deer in the headlights. Uh, So those are all really important. Well, just as like a, I'm going to fanboy a little bit here just because I'm a big Chef Ramsay fan. I I was in the restaurant business for many years, like 16 years. And I remember there was a period where Kitchen Nightmares actually meant a lot to me because I hated my job. I hated waiting tables and I hated all this stuff. And I got to say, he helped me to reinvigorate a little bit of just the passion of talking to people and being good with my customers. And it was part of what ended up Transitioning me into being a full time artist was just making my peace with what I was doing in the restaurant and not butting my head up against the wall so much. Are there any interesting stories you have with him or did you learn anything from Gordon Ramsay?
1: I learned a lot from Gordon because I had been on Extreme and it was a team of people. Ty was the lead for sure. And he's a good friend of mine to this day, just a wonderful human being, as are the uh, designers. But with Gordon, he was such a perfectionist and, and so passionate about what he did. I tried to explain to people yeah, he may seem angry on camera, but it's because he's disappointed that someone is billing themselves as caring when they're not caring. And so he would fly off. And that was real (laughs) when it wasn't going well, (laughs) but to go back to the point of, of credit taking the, one of the restaurants I did was in, Los Angeles it was Sante La Brea and when I transformed it and Gordon went in with the with the owners to show it to them because at the time it was still kind of reality in that format in, in the United States was a little different than the UK. He kept saying on camera when they said we love the design he kept saying that's Nancy and MCR was like she doesn't exist. She doesn't they don't know just say, thank you. Just say, thank you. And I always was really grateful and re- and felt really respected that he was insistent on camera, even though he was giving, being given direction not to Yes. That that's Nancy. And that was really a kind moment. Like, wow. He, oh, that's he awesome. Really cared, you know, and yeah. any of the restaurants that I designed. Because he's
0: a professional too. And he knows what goes into it.
1: But I mean, it was, I just was always grateful. That was just a cool thing that he did. That's and really I, cool. I didn't ever really appear on camera on Kitchen Nightmares, maybe in a time lapse or background. But the Mm -hmm. fact that I knew he was understanding of what I brought to the table and respectful of it was so great. And um, when (laughs) there was just one time, one episode, and I was pitching, I always would show him like a little mood board of what I was going to do and what the idea was and what the inspiration was. And I was doing this restaurant. It was a lobster restaurant in New York.
0: I probably saw this one, yeah.
1: I had graphics where I was going to do green lobsters because it was about the color palette in the space. And, you know, lobsters are in different colors in different stages of their (laughs) life. life. Right. And the only note I ever got from him ever was he (laughs) he opened the door and he said, lobsters are red. Yes, they are. And I will change. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, I mean i didn't even i wasn't even gonna go there i wasn't gonna talk about you know i was just like if, if you've given me one note i'm gonna make it happen no skin off my teeth rather than a green and gray palette we're going with a red and gray palette i'm totally at home with that
0: yeah well and <laughs> it was probably because maybe people might have thought maybe something's wrong with the lobsters here you know what exactly. i mean
1: I, you know with food and i understand that too green unless it's vegetation is not yeah
0: unless it's like a bell pepper or you know some salad yeah
1: yeah so I mean I I I know where he's coming from That's why I didn't push back at all and also I I was mindful of the fact that he's trusted me every time to just go, and that was the one note in all my in three seasons one note that was it that's
0: pretty good by the way
1: and and it was just it was absolute joy we had a great time on the road everybody felt like family it was fun I enjoyed it
0: that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's a pretty good track record. If if Ramsey only gave you one tip, so or one one criticism, yeah. at, he always wondered
1: if I could do it. And there were many times when he came in the next morning, and they filmed him because he couldn't believe that we'd done it.
0: And he did one of these. Ah, you know, he's always grabbing his face like this. He's always looks yeah. like he's in agony.
1: <laughs> I remember walking through with him the night before on um, what was it, Lido. In, yeah. in Manhattan Beach, and walked with him the night before, and he's like, "Are you sure you can do this?" And I'm like, I've "Done it before."
0: We'll find out. <laughs> we've Done it before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's such a huge thing too. Is as an artist too, like just committing, saying yeah. yes, jumping, and then figuring the shit out as you go. You know what I mean? Well, and,
1: and team leading because of course it was never me alone. Right. People that you know they went on the road with me and left their families and. Busted it out and made it happen. Made things happen. I mean, I had I've had art teams that would just blow your mind. If I could assemble all the ones that pulled all this off, we could probably renovate a town in a
2: week.
0: Because <laughs> these yeah. people
1: are so so good at it—carpenters and painters and artists—and
0: well, that elevates others. your game, doesn't it?
1: it? Totally elevates your game. And then mm. crossing the United States, hitting 48 of the United States means that I met creatives in 48 of the United States, and I'm in touch with many of them, because when I met them, it was under these bonding intensities. One of my best friends on the road is Chris Russell. She's from New York. Her husband was a firefighter, responded on 9-11. Another really, really good friend is Pat Ganino. And he came out to help us on a house with faux finishing and murals. And we've stayed connected and we still see each other. And, you know, I can sit there and, and look on Facebook and see where these people are. It's amazing that that I feel that connection and, we can check in and and remember what happened. That's crazy.
0: amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. It's like not only did you get to do so many projects and you got so much, you know, visibility for these projects, but you made a family along the way.
1: Total yeah. family because I was missing my own, so I was mama bearing all across the United States.
0: There we <laughs> go. Next people... reality show, Mama Bearing All mama Across Bear- the United States <laughs> 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 with Nancy Hadley. Well, I want to ask one last question about the TV show stuff. I mean, we can talk more if you want, but was there ever a a job that you couldn't finish in time or you had like some sort of budget constraint that was so difficult that you just had to either scrap it and do a whole new thing or you couldn't finish?
1: Well, I'd say we finished because cameras did roll. You had to, yeah. (laughs) One of the hardest renovations I ever did was a bar on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. during a monsoon. Oh, wow. And my art kit was left under pop-ups. All I'll say about that. Oh no. And it got just thrashed. And then when I was trying to get my kit collected, I ended up shocking myself on the saw.
0: Oh man.
1: Which was terrifying. Yeah. Was ending in water. And
0: yeah.
1: they came to me, Later, and they had the camera on me. I had been on camera a couple times on that show. And um, they came to me and said, tell us what that was like. And I said, do you want this for you or is this for the show? And they're like, oh, for me. So <laughs> I just started to go off. I said, You swear on your show. I said,
0: oh, yeah, I swear all the time.
1: This is the biggest clusterfuck I've ever been involved in. And <laughs> so their teaser for the next episode, that episode when it aired was me saying that? Yes, my hairs drenched, and they're they're bleeping me, but they're also subtitling me with yeah. symbols instead of words. Of course. And that, in a nutshell, that's when it could be its worst. Is whenever I felt that there was danger, mm. that was the worst. Everything else I could deal with, but if yes. there's was physical hazard, no way, no, 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 no. Well,
0: and sh- you think was- for the. Sorry, you think for the show too, with their insurance, that they would shy away from that as well?
1: Well, I mean, everything starts rolling real fast. And the teams that I had were always the night crew. And depending on how it was supported through the night and access to safety and whatnot, or, or someone who is not, I was always physically doing. So I couldn't be sitting at a desk, you know, getting meals or signing people in with their paperwork. Because we were such a small, small team,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I had to use my own blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah. I couldn't be administration ever until the end when I was doing receipts and all that. Right. And it was kind of un wasn't unusual, but it was crazy. I mean, I know that I I would build a team of three or four and later seasons, they would have a lot more people on those teams.
0: Yeah. They probably so, learned trial and error, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, because when a show is first launching, they're trying to figure it out and they're trying to keep budgets under control. I get it, but and I'm—I yeah. always likened myself to um, Winston Wolf from Pulp Fiction. If they called me, I'd want to know the principles, how much time I had, was money you know who's going to clean up the brains yeah.
0: <laughs> exactly
1: I am you know so
0: I've always thought of you like Harvey Keitel so <laughs> me, and Harvey, yeah. <laughs> me and Harvey that's one your,
2: degree that's your of other. separation right <laughs> exactly um,
0: well that's a great reference I got a couple other questions for you but first of all I want to ask you to tell people how they find you online how they find your work
1: oh. So on Instagram, my handle is at Nancy Hadley's, F-A-C. And on Twitter, I'm at Art Nanners. I'm pretty honest on Twitter. (laughs) 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 uh, I'm on TikTok as well. I think it's under Art Nanners. And where else? I have a website. It's under construction. So if you get an alert, it's going to be up and running again. That's Nancy Hadley, www.nancyhadley.com. Yes, and I, uh, Preston, because I was listening to your old one of your other podcasts, I signed up for Altamira. Oh yes, yeah, great. And approved, so I'm going through that process. I really love what they're doing. I, I do too. Really I think it's brilliant.
0: It really is.
1: I think I mentioned to you. It's inspired me. Aside from Shockbox, I have such a big space that, and I know how hard it is to get your work to be seen. So I'm, I'm trying to gear up with the idea of bringing other artists and doing a show in this space. Because I love I it. Fun In Orange County and invite, you know, 10 friends and let's see if we can get some people interested in our work. So that's that's in the books in my head.
0: I love it. And that space lends itself well to that. I've seen a lot of pictures there and it would be a really cool show. Now there are other buildings in that community, correct? That are the same design? Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think there's about 10, 15. Something like that.
0: Okay, cool.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah that would be fun. I, tell, let me know if you're planning on doing that. I'd love to. Absolutely.
2: absolutely.
1: And, yeah. and again, I would probably want to talk to you about that further because I, I like Altamira's commission rate. I think that's really. It's
0: incredible. amazing. And, and I was so- not trying to be like to hurt any artist, but I was just like how I asked him. I said, how are you surviving with this? I completely
1: you know? agreed when I heard you. Say, I thought that's incredible, but, it, yeah. but it's also the right thing to do
0: it's the right thing to do and especially at the beginning when you're trying to scale and and i asked him and he had a really good answer for that when they do scale it's not like they're going to just pull the rug out from under people it's going to be like well the people who are engaging more are going to stay at that same rate and the people who aren't who aren't really taking it seriously well it'll be probably 20 which is still really good
1: oh, great yeah. <laughs> so, incentive based is so smart especially with so- social media is overwhelming i mean i it is i'm still trying to catch up there's some things that i have been doing so long i get but You know, it's it's and it's crucial, especially with the pandemic for artists to at least find their audience. And remember that even if your audience is small, then take care of your audience.
0: That's so, so true. Such a good point.
1: Take care of those three people rather than try to get 10 you've never met before
0: it's not just a numbers game of like, Oh, I mean, it is a numbers game, but I always say like, I don't know who said, I think it was Tim Ferriss said this. It's 1000 true fans and it doesn't have to be a thousand. You're right. It can be five, but Mm -hmm. people who actually care about your work care about you, what you're doing, want to see updates. I have a very small newsletter. Well, it's not small. It's like, you know, 400, 500 people, but they're, these people care. And I know that when I put out a newsletter, some people that I've, haven't talked to in 10 years, one person might buy again or be interested. in. if you have that community and you have people who actually care, that's going to be your career right there. And yeah. um, and it's very important to kind of foster that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No, that, yeah. That's, that's the key.
0: I was going to say with social media, since we're on there, I agree also with finding, you know, your voice on different social media. Like I am not great with Twitter. Uh, I, I probably could get better with it. I just it's something that I've let fall to the wayside like I have some followers but I don't really engage on there the way I should. I know that and I probably will in the future. Instagram is my jam. You know, I I I liked YouTube for a while. I saw that you had a YouTube. Um, oh yeah. I have do that you too. up? Yeah, I was looking at the uh I see your Bob Ross painting in the Bob background Ross? there. Yeah.
1: Yes. The blonde Ross was part of the pandemic. I was doing um we were doing Zooms with my, I was doing Zooms with my girlfriend who lives in Canada and her friends and we yeah. each host a Zoom. So I said, well, I'll do an art class. And I didn't tell them, but I dressed as Bob Ross with the beard and the mustache. And so when <laughs> I turned around, I had the mask on, Yeah. started teaching them. I took the mask off and they lost it. And I thought, <laughs> That's actually a fun thing to just have a little fun with it. Almost like a Sesame Street kind of approach
0: to art. I agree. And I, when cool. I first saw it, I was like, wait a minute, did she change her hair? What's going on here? I don't remember Yeah, yeah, you got a perm. No, but I saw it and I thought it was really cool because- I don't know if you know anything about my Instagram either, but I'm all about having a sense of humor and doing videos that show your humor. That's so important to people and to collectors too, to get a window behind the scenes of how you work, your personality, get to know you a little bit. Um, I love the blonde Ross. And then you also had, I wanted to hear a little bit about, because I did research you a lot, but I didn't have a chance to go through every single thing. Um, What is it? Better Angels?
1: Oh, Better Angels. Okay. So um, I worked on a show called Tattoo Rescue. Yes, and the the co-host Sammy was. I felt like I was basically raised with his family. He's from New Jersey. My mom was born in New Jersey. We just really hit it off, and he brought in some people that helped on some of the episodes. And one of his friends had a brother who had dwarfism, so mm-hmm. he was part of this foundation. So we started to kind of come up with this idea that maybe we should do a renovation show where we help some kids with dwarfism improve their space. And I, I wrote the show with the idea that I would be the designer. I would use a gang of bikers to renovate spaces for little people. Yes. So that would be that fun energy, that chaos. So what you saw there was the one episode we shot broken up into, what was it, five-minute uh, scenes. And yeah, I think me- it was like
0: 10 of them or so. Yeah,
1: it was me trying to find my voice as a writer, director, producer, host, <laughs> designer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I took all those hats and did it, and had an incredible um, film crew out of New Jersey, and um, they put it together for me. And it was it was just a labor of love. The intent yes. was to pitch that as a show to sell, but like anything else. You've got to go where you can make an income, so you're doing this work for your passion, but you have to put everything into it, but at the same time, you have to make money. So exactly. able to at least get it with Aaron down to this these episodes to share it because I just thought the story was so much fun. and And the guys were they're hilarious.
2: it's
0: yeah. it, it looked I watched uh, I watched one of them, and I got to see little snippets of the others as I was mm-hmm. doing the research. It looked interesting. And I was like, I was wondering if you were going to pitch this and I was wondering, that's a good segue into this question. You know, where do you see your art? And as a sub question, is that something that you see yourself pursuing like a kind of Nancy Hadley reality show?
1: Well, I've been in reality for a while. I've pitched many, many, many shows and I've seen things actually air that are surprisingly similar to what maybe I pitched now, whether or not organically, because it probably is this way. People were coming up with similar ideas at the same time. Yeah. It is collective
0: really consciousness. Yeah.
1: Um, I did pitch a show uh, that I co-wrote with my friend, Tim, and we sold it and it aired and it was called family edition. So I have, I have a writer credit, which was really, really oh, cool. Crazy to get. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but it, you know, I would have to basically take all of my energy and funnel in one direction unless someone a third party had the time to do some of the other legwork. And I have worked with producers with that intent, but it hasn't ever lit and that's okay. Yeah. Because family edition was actually a second second generation concept of one that I was going to host and we sold it, but then the sale got frozen. That's just TV and that's how life is. Um, Yeah. But for me personally, the age I am, where I am in, in my life, I think that I'm ready to continue to explore art for the sake of expressing what I want to st- stories I want to tell. Yes. Find an audience of people who want those stories, or if they want me to tell their story, you know, in portraits or commissions or whatever, I'm, I'm definitely, I actively pursue that as well. So that's why this space I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a crossroads with this space. Either I build on this space and bring other art in or create a studio environment where people can see. Or I start downsizing and just live my life creatively on spontaneously creatively, mm-hmm. as opposed to wrapping it around myself like I am now, because I'm immersed. This is what the inside
0: of my head looks like. Yeah, Awesome. I love it. Love to get a, see, a peek inside of Nancy's yeah, head. Yeah,
1: if you ever want to come see uh, it live, there's more going on than what you're seeing. In-
0: yeah, I would love to. <laughs> and I would encourage anybody to check it out. It The space is called Q27, right?
1: 27, an unfortunate name done in (laughs) 2017, 2018. So,
0: wait, Nancy, are are you Q? I'm
1: not Q, but people thought I was and put stickers on my door. Oh, Oh, no. paint Quonset Hut on the Q. (laughs) Uh, There you go. People understood that I am not that Q. Yes. Because this, you know, people generally don't necessarily know that term.
0: Yeah, yeah. Found
1: that out the hard way. (laughs) <laughs> so thankfully, I didn't change my business name.
0: Right, and your business is uh, Nancy Hadley's LAC, or what is it, LAC?
1: Yeah, it stands for Fine Art Commission. Uh, okay. When I incorporated, it was in 1997. Mm-hmm. So I went just with my name, so I could be a vendor from Mattel, and yeah. then went through the full incorporation. I can do a DBA if I ever wanted to, and almost did with Q27, uh, but I did not. So yeah. You know do that
0: well in a sense it's smart that you use your name because it's also your branding yourself you know
1: yeah my i did have concern though because there there was a local artist here who did um clothing design and his name was really well known i won't name it no yeah reason. um but they bought a hit, or they let him go and kept his name he couldn't use his own name oh wow but i'm not in the state i don't have you know a board or needs my i have my employees when they come in and I have my husband's my partner so I don't think he's going to steal my name
0: so yeah that's why I'm a sole proprietor yeah if, you know <laughs> only way I'll steal my name is if I one of my split personalities takes over <laughs> and, and knocks me yeah. out you know but I, I think that's <laughs> <then> good <laughs> yeah. yeah well um what was I going to ask oh David Bowie I have this here it says David Bowie exclamation 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 and that's only because I love David Bowie too. And I read your blog post about David Bowie and his passing. And I don't think there's a day that goes by, including today where I was on the treadmill. And I, I start out with David Bowie. I listen to David Bowie all the time. I grew up on him also. I mm-hmm. think my earliest memory was with, I'm um, not in my life, but of Bowie was with labyrinth. And then I did the oh. deep dive afterwards. Cause I know that's a different side of Bowie, but um, he's had so many different sides. And I just think he's, I agree with you. He's like the quintessential artist.
2: So completely.
1: Yeah. And, um, when I've only, I only saw him live once. I'm happy I did, but it was with 10 machine, which wasn't really, you know, a big hit. band. Yeah. But in hindsight, my husband pointed it out that what he was doing as usual was cutting edge,
2: but
0: definitely
1: the audience didn't, they weren't caught up yet. So we got to see him and that I'll always be really grateful that I got to see him.
0: You know, it's great. I mean, I, first of all, I'm jealous. I never got to see him live. One of the regrets, but, um, one of his albums heathen which is not you know very critically acclaimed this <clears> is what I love about him if you listen to any of his albums long enough you go oh I get what he's doing here like I I get this as a whole like I started listening I, I listened to that album because I loved like three songs off of it and then I just I know Bowie so I just started to absorb it and absorb it and absorb it as I was painting and now it's one of my favorite albums I don't care what yeah. anybody says if one of your worst albums can be that effective, you're a genius. So,
1: and you get to rediscover him too, because it's yes. not one that you heard over and over again, somewhere else you get sure. to actually digest it on your own time. And yeah. as a creative, take it in for what it says to you, as opposed to what someone says, it says to you.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I love that. So thank you for writing that. And I'm, I'm going to get into your blog a little bit more later, but I wanted well, to ask, go ahead.
1: Oh, there are a few stories in there from extreme too. So you can check those out.
0: Oh, cool. Nice. So if anybody goes to Nancy Hadley's website, uh, she has a blog on there. She's got press. It's it's really great. I know there were a couple errors that you're working out right now, but once yeah. that's up, there's a lot of good information on you and all the stuff you've done, pictures of all the work you've done. So check that out. But um, I always end with asking some personal questions. Not that these haven't been personal the whole time. Let's see. What do I want to ask you? In routines? Now I'm going to go with Superpower. So what is your superpower? I think I might be able to guess, but if you're not feeling creative, or maybe you're not because you're, you have it so ingrained in you just to crank stuff out. But if you're having one of those days where you're not feeling it for whatever reason, what is your go-to to get you in that creative mindset?
1: Literally my go-to is this space as I have so many things in progress that if I'm not ready to do a commission work, Then I start on something that I was inspired to begin and hadn't gotten to stage two in. And I begin working on it because then my brain starts to process where I want to start with the actual paid gig or whatever. Yes. I started to collect miniatures so I could set little installations and make them creative, like design tiny spaces so that I could look at it and kind of just reset my brain. So organizing and, Grabbing things for creative inspiration unrelated to the job at hand always gets me in the right mode to get there. I didn't know it ahead of time till every time I have a job that I have to do, I come in and I start fiddling with another project. Yeah. And then once my brain does that switch and it does, because I have to force creativity for my timing. My husband, who's a writer, can't do that. He wants to be able to sit and really stew in his thoughts and get it out that way. But I've been conditioned to force myself to be creative. So I can't waste a lot of time. So, yeah.
0: I have an episode called Forced Creativity. And it's all about that. I'm the same way. I will get in because when you're an artist and this is your career, uh, Mm -hmm. it's not just a hobby. You don't always feel, it's not like always like, oh, every day you get in the studio. So I also will just, I call it muscle memory. I'll just force some action. And then it gets, it sparks that creativity. And then I can, and then all of a sudden I'm like in one of my most creative states in that flow state. I love that answer. What about failures, any failures or anything you did that didn't succeed? And did you learn anything from it?
1: Yes. I've had, uh, let's see. I remember taking on a job once that I was sure I could do. It was going to be full finishing of a ceiling. Mm -hmm. This woman had heard about me probably through the show. And I was just going to do it myself because I was so used to doing things myself. And I went in and I began the process. And I realized that in the time I had the budget she had and the size of the space, I started going and I said, this is not going to work. And I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to quit this.
2: Mm -hmm. It was
1: the first time I just I had come out of that invincible. I could do anything, but I I neglected to realize that when I am in those spaces on TV shows, there is a support team. Mm -hmm. And I physically cannot always do it all. So learning to be kinder to myself and realistic to my capabilities has been hard. The pandemic has brought me so much closer to being able to recognize my limitations.
0: That's a great answer and it's very valid because sometimes the best thing we can do is say no to certain Mm -hmm. things and certain projects and that is self-care a lot of us artists when we start to you know get gigs and start making money and a lot of us are people pleasers it's hard to say no to things Mm -hmm. and uh yeah i've gone through that i mean some of the chronic pain i'm still going through is because of that the self-imposed pressure and i wish i'd learned that a little bit earlier so thank you for that yeah Um, and then the last one i'm going to ask you I think the last one. Yes. The last one I'm going to ask you is uh, any advice to your younger self? Any age?
1: Yes. Uh, Aside from buy Apple (laughs) in the 80s. um, Right. I I, I probably would have said breathe and count to 10 more. Life was hard when I was younger. And I I watch my children go through things where developmentally, their brains are just trying to process. And breathe and count to 10 really... I had people try to tell me that, but it, it, it's true. Take a beat. Yeah. Dial it down. Because I had been sprinting for decades. And dial it down. It, yes. will it will wait. Unless there's an emergency. Someone's bleeding and somebody's dying. If that's right. not happening, count to 10. Breathe a little bit.
0: I love that answer. And it's like so many of these deeper truths, you hear them all the time. Growing up, but you true. can't really understand them until you are at that point where you have to understand them. <laughs> I wish I wish we didn't always have to hit like rock bottom before we got no, those things.
1: Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, it's it and it, and it does resonate with people at some point in their life. And I always hope I would have liked to go back and really make it resonate to my younger self. But
0: me as well. This. That's a great one, and yeah. and we haven't gotten that answer on here either. So
2: okay, thank okay. you for
0: that. Yeah. yeah. Well, is there anything that you feel like we left out or something you really wanted me to ask you or something you wanted to plug before we go? Or do you feel pretty good?
1: I feel I feel pretty good. I'm um, I'm excited to uh, enter here. Kitchy, kitschy. Oh, yeah. That I've been doing in my head and we'll be working on because I, I do port. I do animal portraits actually for commissions, but yeah. I looked at the description. And so that's another thing. When you're you, going to enter in a gallery, read the description, read the expectations, understand that they're serious, <laughs> that is, they mean it.
0: And then, yeah, so you can't later on be like, oh, fuck this gallery. Why didn't they choose me? Well, this well, is a really good
1: Rottweiler that I painted. How come you chose
0: <laughs> It wasn't kitschy. It's right in the title. Kitchy, yeah, kitschy. Yep, yep.
1: Yes, I'm excited. I keep watching my own pets waiting for that moment, that the inspirational moment. I have a couple that I've captured, so.
0: You're like, be kitschy, quick. Um, yes, something. <laughs> I can't wait to see your submission. I hope yeah, hopefully whatever. I'll be during that one too.
2: Yeah. <laughs> cool.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Well, right. well stick thanks. around afterwards. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, but Nancy, it's been really fun talking to you. Thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a great day.
0: You too. Bye. This has been the living artist podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I just want you to know that I appreciate you being here and I'm grateful to be in your ears. Your art and creative life on this planet is meaningful, so thank you for sharing it with me. If you like this podcast, whatever platform you're listening to it on, please subscribe and share it with your friends. You can also leave me a positive review to show your support. This helps me to reach more people with the algorithmic magic and keep the show going strong. If you want to see more of what I do and check out the art that I create, you can visit my website at www.pmsartwork.com or follow me on social media everywhere at PMSArtwork. That's it for now. See you back here next time.